Well, um, this evening, I'd like you to locate in your Bibles Hebrews, uh, um, the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, and the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10, and in just a moment, I'm going to read from verse 19. You know, um, something that uh, always, um, before someone joins uh, Grace Baptist Church Wood Green, uh, they are given um, a, a link, or if they do not have internet access, they are given a, a printout. Hopefully everyone has one this evening. If you don't, raise your hand and Annie will make sure that you get one. Um, of our statement of faith. Now, whether they read it or not, is uh, their, their business uh, at one level. But it is hoped that each person who joins the church has read our statement of faith at some time, uh, ideally prior to joining, uh, and has sincerely and seriously worked through it at some level. However, uh, all of us benefit from repetition. All of us learn to some degree by repetition, whether that be uh, the functions that we perform in everyday life, which we learned as young children by trying and failing, and so trying again, doing, and then undoing and redoing. Re repetitive learning is a very key part of, of our learning process. So if you're already familiar with the statement of faith, then it will not hurt you to work through it again. If you're already familiar with the beliefs that are herein articulated, uh, it will not hurt you to work through it again. If you are unfamiliar, well, it is hoped that this will be um, a useful introduction to the core beliefs of our local church. And it is hoped that uh, we can continue to uphold and confess these things clearly, boldly, and effectively as a local church in such a way that as we familiarize ourselves with these truths, we might not have the statement of faith memorized, but we agree with it, we confess it, we can explain it, and the central truths that it articulates are things that we can come alongside others, brothers, sisters, people who don't yet believe in Christ, and we can explain the concepts that are herein. But one thing that I want to clarify is over the next several weeks as we work through our statement of faith, we're actually not expounding our statement of faith. I once heard a, a pastor talk about preaching through their statement of faith, and I actually had a bit of an issue with that, not going to lie. Um, uh, I, I knew what he meant. But I, was, I certainly hope you're preaching from Scripture, and I hope that as you're preaching from Scripture, you are demonstrating how the truths of your statement of faith are drawn from Scripture. I think that's very important, so that we know that what we believe and what we confess and what we profess is rooted and grounded in God's Word. It's not just ideas that we've, we've pulled out of the air. 
Another thing that I want you to note is when we talk about um, our, our, our statement of faith and we look at these beliefs, there are myriad passages of Scripture that we could go to for each of these points. There are multiple passages that we could be turning back and forth to, and that would be quite okay. Some people, that is how they would teach through a statement of faith. I think um, I would rather us do a deep dive into one passage that we connect with one article of our statement of faith than uh, a more shallow survey of the entirety of Scripture and how it feeds into this. We would be basically just quoting lots of Scriptures and reading this, the article of our statement of faith and, and not really spending time in one place and developing the, the thoughts. So that's the approach that we're going to take. It remains expositional, exegetical, working from a passage of Scripture to explain, illustrate, and apply that passage of Scripture in such a way as conveys the truths that we articulate in the statement of faith. This evening, as a way of introducing things, we're actually going to read through the statement of faith together. But first I want us to read God's Word and to remind ourselves of why it is important to know what we believe and why and how that impacts who and what and how and all of that that we are as a church. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We give God thanks for His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the perfect and sufficient revelation of Yourself to us in Scripture, and thank You that we are able to learn and grow and develop and be strengthened hereby. We ask, Lord God, that You would teach us and train us and equip us um, for uh, walking in the righteousness of Christ, both as those who are declared righteous uh, before you and those who are being made righteous by you. We ask, Lord, that you would um, strengthen us and sustain us in all ways, all that we do, not least in what we confess. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. At the heart of the passage that we just read, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I once was in a gathering of um, uh, brothers and sisters who were seeking to emphasize core distinctives of their gathering of churches. And uh, in, in, the, in the course of the event, 
one of the speakers, uh, applied this passage with regard to the confession of faith that that body of believers um, uh, identified most closely with. And I, I have to say, I was uncomfortable then, and I'm still uncomfortable with that now, in that it seemed to be elevating that confession, which was formulated in the 17th century, into something that, that was superior to all other things in a way that I, I was profoundly uncomfortable with, not least because this author didn't have that confessional document. This author did not have that, uh, that confession of faith. I'm not saying necessarily that that confession of faith and, and, and this document, uh, the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, are contradictory, but I think we need to be very careful about elevating our um, confessional statements and our creedal documents and our statements of faith to the position of Scripture, lest we uh, fall into the same errors that created uh, the movement that is called Protestantism where we have elevated tradition to a, a place of parity, equality, with, um, uh, with Scripture. Scripture is our ultimate, final authority. So tradition is useful. History is important. Confessional documents and statements of faith are vital in many ways, but they must be submitted to Scripture. And if they are found to err, we should not... We should not try to explain it away. We should not try to shoehorn our confession into Scripture or implant our template confessionally onto the biblical text. But we should revise what our statement says. If there's some area where our statement of faith is found lacking, then we should be confident to, to add to it. It's not a problem. If there is some area in which it is inaccurate, we should not hesitate to correct it under the light of Scripture. In fact, the, the statement of faith, that is the statement of faith of Grace Baptist Church Woodgreen, um, is a, a statement that has been altered a few times previously uh, by the wider gathering of churches that would would uphold this statement. There, there were various times over the past 150 years, um, various things that were found in the original statement that were lacking, that were not clear. And so various things have, have been tightened and tweaked over the years, and that is okay. I, I mentioned traditionalism this morning. Traditionalism is when you can't change anything because that's the way it always has been, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it must be. But you see, right there, you've made an idol. Because only God is as He has always been, as He is and always will be. Only Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we, we should not idolize our confessional documents. We should not um, elevate our statements of faith to uh, some form of um, deity or even equality with Scripture, but we should submit everything to the Lord. Nonetheless, having worked through this statement of faith many times with people coming from different contexts, I believe 
that this is a faithful document that clearly and simply, faithfully and thoroughly articulates God's Word. I believe that herein are stated timeless truths for our troubled times. And, it, and, and it's important that we come back to those truths. If you feel in any way uh, embattled, if you feel like uh, the uh, rug is being pulled out from under you or waves are crashing against you in some way, um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically at, at, at some level, is there, is there something that you are standing on, that, that solid ground? Something that you believe in, something that you confess and profess, that you can say, I, I believe this, and everything else can fall, but I will still hold on to this because this is true. Various stages over the past 2,000 years, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, have held these truths so firmly that when their world was shaking, they were willing, ready, and able to die for these things. No, not as, um, because they were radicalized or because they were part of some sort of cult or something like that, but because they had embraced truth and they believed this is true and confessed this is true and nothing and no one could force them by point of the sword or spear or by blazing fire to confess anything else. And so we should cherish these beliefs. We should uphold them. Furthermore, uh, we could go back. It's not just the 2,000 years, but the um, thousands of years previous we, we read of people who gave their lives confessing the Lord as, as they believed in Him and as He had revealed Himself to them, whether it be in the Old Testament, uh, men like Daniel, remember, continuing to, to pray in a context that was hostile to his faith, doing so regardless of the restriction. Continue to pray, openly at risk, and was thrown to the lions. God stopped the mouths of the lions. But not everyone who was thrown to the lions came out alive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's interesting that we actually know them by their um, pagan names. Names that were forced upon them. We, we, we seldom remember their Hebrew names. It's very interesting, isn't it? But while people could take their names and give them new names. They could not take their faith. And when others were bowing before the idol that the king had made, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood, and they would not bow. They would not kneel before this idol. They wouldn't compromise. They held fast the confession of their faith. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. And what happened? Well, they heated, they had heated the furnace up hotter than it ever had been heated before, and the, um, uh, so hot that those who, who were actually throwing them into the fire died by exposure to the heat outside of the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fire, and God permitted things to be sufficiently cool, at least for the, the king to, to look in and see, and 
He, he, he said, we threw, I thought, who's the fourth chap in there? Who is this? We threw three, there were three that went in, but there's another in the fire standing with them. And, and that, changed, that changed everything. And the, these men emerged from the fire unscathed, unsinged. And it's, it, it's powerful to see. But there were others who were thrown into the fire and were consumed. And yet, even as they were consumed, they held fast the confession of their faith. The truths that are articulated here um, are those that developed um, uh, through God's revelation from Scripture Old and New Testament, and they are the things that we believe and confess. Do we really? Do we really believe that this is true? To the extent that we would be prepared to insist on the truthfulness of these things if it costs us everything. See, those who hold fast the confession of their hope without wavering, do so because the second part of verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. So it never was about us to begin with. It wasn't about our confession. Aren't we bold and brave? It wasn't about our hope. It was about who we confessed, who our hope was in. He who promised is faithful. And he who promised is the one, as you read Hebrews, who, who loved us and sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us as um, a perfect once and for all sacrifice, to make offering on our behalf as priest, to declare salvation, um, uh, the justice of God and His redeeming love as prophet and to reign over us forever as king. This is the, the one in whom we have hope, from whom we have hope. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus. You can enter into God's presence because of Jesus and His sacrifice. By the new and living way He opened for us through the curtain. That Once in the temple, you see, was there's this barrier between um, uh, us and God, anyone and God. And you could not go through the curtain into the holiest place unless you were the great high priest and you could only do that once a year. But God has opened the curtain. Even when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we're told that He tore that curtain in two from top to bottom. So He has made a way through that full access to God through the flesh of Jesus, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, who is our great high priest. She says in verse 21, over the house of God. Thus He summons us to draw near with true hearts in full assurance of faith, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. We, the confession of our, of our hope is fundamentally Jesus Christ. We confess Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. And we confess Him without wavering because He is faithful. And He has as we saw this morning, made promises. And because of those promises, we're able to live new lives. We're, even when we're baptized, we're told, buried with Him in baptism, 
raised to walk in newness of life. We've entered into a new covenant relationship with God whereby we, we have a new relationship with Him that, that is we have repented of sin and believed in Jesus Christ and therefore have full and free access to God and His grace. Our sins are nailed to the cross and by union with Jesus, we're able to be right with God and indeed to be righteous before God. So, do we confess? And in our confession, do we have hope? And in our confession of hope, are we wavering or unwavering? And in our unwavering confession of hope, are we trusting in Jesus and His faithfulness? Or are we trusting in something else or someone else? Well, again, I do not as I've said, wish to elevate this statement of faith to some position um, that it, it does not have in and of itself. But so far as the truths herein are, I believe, and we confess faithful and true and representative of scriptural teaching, then we ought to be able to hold these truths and confess them without wavering, knowing that God is faithful. And the implications that flow from these, um, you, you know, it doesn't cover everything. This covers, it is a statement of faith. It covers what we believe. How that impacts us and our lives, our functioning as a church and our faithfulness as individuals. That's drawn to be consistent from this statement. But it's, it, 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 it's not an in-depth look at that. It's not at the application level. Nonetheless, I trust in the coming weeks as we look at the various points herein that we'll see that these things that we state must shape us. They are solid ground that we can go back to when other things are shifting. So why don't we, I don't know that we've ever done this as a, um, as a church. Maybe we have and I've forgotten. Why don't we read this together out loud? And um, as we read it out loud, focus on the truths that are here stated. Does everyone have a copy? Okay. Let's read. We believe in the one true and living God, in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is invisible, personal, omnipresent, eternal, dependent on none, unchanging, truthful, trustworthy, almighty, sovereign, omniscient, righteous, holy, good, loving, merciful, long-suffering, and gracious, and the Creator of all things. We believe that Almighty God in His great goodness has revealed all that is necessary to life and salvation in the 66 books of Holy Scripture, which are the Word of God. All Scripture was given by inspiration of God, is infallible and inerrant, and is sufficient in all matters of faith and practice. Its authority is derived from its author, 
and not from the opinions of men. We believe that God made our first father Adam perfect, holy, and upright. He was appointed representative and head of the human race, thereby exposing all his offspring to the effects of his obedience and disobedience to God's commands. We believe that Adam fell from his original righteousness into sin and brought upon himself and all his offspring death, condemnation, and sinful nature. We believe it is utterly beyond the power of fallen man to know God, to love Him, to keep His laws, to believe the Gospel, to repent of sin or trust in Jesus. We believe that God, before the foundation of the world, for His own glory, did elect an innumerable host of men and women to eternal life as an act of free and sovereign grace. This election was in no way dependent upon His foresight of human faith, decision, works, or merit. We believe that God so loved lost sinners that He sent His Son into the world, conceived of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, unchangeably sinless, both God and man, born under the law to live a perfect life. We believe that God's Son died at Calvary to effect propitiation, reconciliation, redemption, and atonement for His elect people. God bore testimony to His acceptance of His Son's work by raising Him from the dead for our justification. We believe that God's Son ascended to the right hand of His Father and is enthroned in glory where He intercedes on behalf of His people and rules over all things for their sake. We believe that the Holy Spirit has been sent from heaven to glorify Christ and to apply His work of salvation. By the mystery of His all-powerful work, those dead in sin are brought into spiritual life. They hear the call of God through His Word and are given the desire and ability to repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers, brings assurance of salvation, and produces increasing likeness to Christ. He builds up the church and empowers its members for worship, service, and mission. We believe the elect who are called by grace are justified in the sight of God on account of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is received by faith alone. We believe that such as are regenerated, called, and justified shall persevere in holiness and enter into the joys of heaven. We believe in the necessity of baptism by immersion on a profession of repentance and faith in order to enter into church membership. We believe that the Lord's Supper is a privilege of church membership to be administered under the discipline of the local church. We believe that the local church is under the authority of Christ alone. The unity of the body of Christ is expressed within and between churches by mutual love, care, and encouragement. True fellowship between churches exists only where they are faithful to the Gospel. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ shall come again to judge all people, to raise the dead, both righteous and unrighteous, and that the righteous shall be glorified and enjoy everlasting life, and the wicked endure everlasting punishment. 
We believe in church-based mission. That it is the responsibility and privilege of the local church to be obedient to Christ's commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all mankind. Seeking to disciple and baptize believers, establishing them into local churches. Amen. We believe, and those, uh, those statements, each of them are unique and distinct but interconnected. All of them are a statement of we believe. It is not I believe, it is we believe. It is not even we, we teach. I've, I've seen some churches have a statement of what they believe and what they teach. And I find that very interesting and I kind of understand why it might be done. But these are things that we in this congregation believe. And yes, we teach them. But there is no dissonance between what we believe and what we teach. It's not, well, we believe this and it's the lowest common denominator and then we teach this, which goes a bit further um, uh, or, or, or doesn't go quite as far because we don't want to really talk about that. We believe and we, 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 we confess and we profess we believe, I hope with our chests, that these things are true and that we can hold these things without wavering because they point us to our hope. Jesus Christ. So over the coming weeks, we're going to take these one by one. And we're going to demonstrate how they are drawn from the Scriptures. As I said, we'll take one Scripture. There may be the um, uh, reference here and there to others, but we will expound from one Scripture passage each, each week uh, a different truth that is drawn from this statement of faith. Um, at the very beginning... It starts with the doctrine of God. Who is He? What is He like? How can we know Him? That's the second point. The doctrine of Scripture. And then we come to the doctrine of man. And it, it, it's one of those things where we have to start and everything's good. And we'll have a sermon about all of the, the great things and the good things that God made man to be. But then, unfortunately, we have to address the doctrine of sin, which is a part of the doctrine of man, because it has become so inseparable from our nature. And how does that impact our relationship with God? How can we be saved? Is it through a personal uh, decision or choice that we find it within ourselves and our own willpower to accomplish apart from any uh, external or internal work of, of God? Some have said that. But if you were reading carefully, that is not what we confess. That is not what we believe. We believe that it is all of God and all of grace as He enables and empowers. So we, we move on from the doctrine of sin and all of its unpleasantness to the doctrine of salvation. That we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so we come to the doctrine of Christ. Not that Christ is less than God or different from 
God, but He is God made flesh. And we, we did not know Him as that at the beginning. Right? We, we start with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you have to go quite a ways in the Bible to get to in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so we're following the flow of Scripture, but we come to the doctrine of Christ, and we see that in Christ, the justice and the love of God and all of the all, all that is in God, all that is part of God, meets in Jesus, perfectly and powerfully revealed to us in His person, and it meets at the cross at Calvary, at the the place of the the skull where Jesus was crucified, and all that that accomplished, and so we move from the doctrine of. Sin to the doctrine of Christ to the doctrine of salvation. And then what does that mean? And that's where we come to the doctrine of the church. And you cannot talk about the doctrine of the church without the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus ascended into heaven, He said, go and wait for power from on high. So we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about how the church is built and how God continues to save people and calls people to Himself and how people are added to the church and what the church looks like and how it functions and under whose authority it operates and what that means for our mission and, and service. But before we even get to mission and service, we, we have to see the doctrine of the, the last things, the last days. That Jesus Christ is coming again. And that we will all stand before the Lord. The question then is that with which we began. Will we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering? Will we stand before God on that day? Will we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and be able to honestly say without wavering, my hope my joy, my salvation? Or will we be those who run, who pray for the mountains to fall on us? You know, there are those who say, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me, I do not know you. And there are those who, though they've held the confession without wavering, they realize that in their flesh dwells no good thing. And, he, and they ask, when did we do this? When did we do that? We, we've, we're unworthy. But the confession of our hope is not in ourselves. It is in Him. He is worthy. Where will you stand? Where will I stand? Where will we stand on that day? Well, I trust that we will, as we have, I hope, and as we are and as we will, I hope that on that day we will hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because our hope is in Christ and in Him alone and the perfect sacrifice that He made on our account and the victory that He won over death, hell, sin, and the grave. And that, that, that hope, that faith will propel us 
into, yes, and at times hostile environment to that last thing, church-based mission, that we will go and proclaim the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ, seeking to make disciples and baptize believers, establishing them into local churches. So while it is a statement of faith and it might not cover every little incident or every minute application, it shapes everything that we believe, everything that we do, and everything that we are as a local church. So it's important that we return to it. It's important that we really understand it. And it's important that from time to time we teach from Scripture through it so that people might be edified and be able to hold it fast with confidence. I do value your prayers. I also value your um, participation. Thank you for being present this evening for this introductory um, um, session, as it were. Um, but I'd also encourage you to um, speak with others. Encourage them to participate. It's not even just for those who are in our church, but don't, don't um, uh, do any less than speaking to brothers and sisters in the congregation, encouraging uh, people to, so that we know this we believe. Timeless truths for troubled times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would strengthen us and fortify us, that you would uphold us, that we would indeed hold to the confession of our hope without wavering. Lord, I know um, we, we, we know this personally, um, prayerfully, even the things that we discuss at, at prayer meetings on, on Thursday evenings bear witness to the, the, the troubled realities that we face at an individual level, as families, and as a congregation. What is our anchor? What is our foundation? What, what can we go back to? What can we hold on to? Lord, I, I pray that if it is nothing else, it would be the confession of our hope that you have made promises and you are faithful and we know you and your promises and your faithfulness in Jesus Christ. As we hold on to that, may we embrace all of the truth that surrounds it. May we believe these things, confess these things, profess these things, and live by these things for your glory. Even as we confess, even as we said we believe, we know that we cannot do this in ourselves apart from a divine intervention from your Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord God, that you would continuously fill us with the Holy Spirit, equipping us and empowering us to believe what we ought and to live accordingly. Bless and help us in this and help us to bring others along so that together we can stand firm and strong in what we believe. And may others look to us, a world adrift, lost, floundering, tossed to and fro by waves, 
May they see conviction. May they see clarity. May they see solid ground. A place of safety and refuge. Lord, we ask that you would do this. Here in us, through us, and among us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.